0: Welcome to today's episode. My name is Lena. I am a spiritual teacher and a coach. And in this episode, I am reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1967 titled, Imagining Creates Reality. Neville tells his audience, the great artists of the world, no matter who they are in the world, they are on this level. And what I speak of here is an entirely different level. When you experience this separation from this world, and that experience I call religion. Religion is a devotion to the most exalted experience that one really has realized in this world. He is simply devoted to this reality, that reason may deny all other things deny. But he knows he has experienced it. Now let me share with you this night. I see two ladies present of the three Bible suggest or tells. Here's one that is truly sheer heaven. This lady is very, very much a lady. She's very feminine. She said it was the night of January 24th on Tuesday night this past month. She said it had rained all day all into the evening. Finally, it stopped. It was very, very still. A strange quietness permeated the atmosphere. I was alone in the den. Bob, who is her husband, had gone to bed, and I had turned off the TV. All at once, something turned or opened in my head, and a voice spoke to me. The voice said, I am faith, hope, and love. Then, in a little while, a deeper voice, a deep, glorious, masculine voice, a voice I had never heard before, and not the voice that I had just previously heard, and it said within, I am the Father. She said, I was so emotionally touched that I burst into tears, and I cried and cried, the shortest sentence in scripture, Jesus wept. At the very end of the drama, the one who was supposed to be the rock on which the whole world would be now established denied the entire story three times before the cock crowed. And when the cock crowed, he remembered all that was foretold him, and then he wept bitterly, not until one had experienced it. Now, to a great experience, one thing is essential, and experiencing nature for it is only from an, an experiencing nature that the furnaces of affliction can refine the essence of faith, hope, and love. Hear this, lady. I turn now to the 48th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Now you will hear things that you have never before known. From of old your ears have not been opened. But I tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. Or how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. Verse 3 through 11. You think your ears are open? Maybe they are so perfect you have perfect pitch. I have known a few friends in my life with perfect pitch. Eleanor R. was one. A friend of mine who goes by the name Dolores. She was another. I could be in the far, far end of their room, and I'd go to the piano. Strike any note or any chord, she could name it instantly. Eleanor R. could do it. I don't care what you did on that piano, or on any other instrument for that matter. Strike any note instantly. As always said to you, A, and you strike A, or call back A, or I would say I love you, and you would say I love you. It was just as easy as that. From any instrument in that orchestra, for Eleanor R. and for my friend Dolores. So here we think, because we have this ability, that our ears are open. Our ears are sealed, sealed to the heavenly voices, completely sealed to an entirely different world. So I tell you, God is love. God is faith. God is hope. Let us make man in our image. That's the initial hope. Faith that it can be done, and it takes love to do it. Even though to us, the ones that are put through the furnaces of affliction, as it seems to be hell. And yet, he first turns us into a responsive being. He turned man into a living soul that man could respond. For without re- excuse me, for without response, there could be no action on us. And so, only as I can respond, and then comes this moment of silence when she hears from within herself, I am faith, hope, and love. Then a voice so deep, so glorious, so masculine, and I say she's so feminine, and this voice is saying from within herself, I am the Father. Now, how could you ever tell her at this moment saying that she does not now incarnate God and that God radiates from her own wonderful human imagination? Is there a man in the world so wise that he could persuade her that she doesn't incarnate God when she has had the experience? She knows today from her own experience the truth of scripture. and There is no priest, no cardinal, no archbishop. No one that could be, by any degree in the world, argue with her, or argue her out of her own wonderful experience. Now here she sits, a lady unknown to the world, really, and yet she's experienced what the great giants, judged by human standards, have not experienced. I tell you, scripture is true. And the day will come that she will have a further experience not only of the voice speaking from within her as it has. It said, I am the Father. This voice will reveal from within her that she is the Father. And there is only one way that she will know it. When God's only begotten Son stands before her and calls her Father. The day will come and I can't conceive that it's far off with this experience, when David will stand before her and call her father, and then she will know. I have found David, and he has called unto me. Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Psalm 89.26 You would think a lady so feminine could never have the experience of being father. Yet I tell you, In this dimension of which I speak, we are above the organization of sex. We are not male and female, as we are here on this lower level. We are completely above the organization of sex. And there's only God, and yet God made up of many. It's a compound unity, one made up of many, and all are the Father, of the one and only begotten Son, the quintessence of all the experiences of men personified as David. David will call her father, and she will know that the voice that spoke within, although she knows it now, is declaring the eternal truth. So, when God, or so, when we say God is love, I'm not using words. This is not a conclusion reached philosophically, this is all rele- er, revelation. You stand in the presence of the risen Christ, and he incorporates you into his body. There aren't two anymore, just one, and now he incorporates her, and she is one, as I am one. We're not male and female, not on this level. We're completely above the organization of sex, and there's only God, and yet God made up of many. It's a compound unity, one made up of many, and all are the father of the one and only begotten son, who is the quintessence of all the experiences of men personified as David. It will call her father, and she will know that the voice that spoke within, although she knows it now, is declaring the eternal truth. So when we say God is love, I'm not using words. This is not a conclusion reached philosophically. This is all revelation. You stand in the presence of the risen Christ, and he incorporates you into his body. There aren't two anymore, just one. And now he incorporates her, and she is one, as I am one. Then he incorporates another and another, and one by one. By one we are gathered into the one body, the one spirit. And we're all father. There aren't numberless fathers in the end. All in the beginning, yes, we all fell and called ourselves the father. Then we are gathered one by one into the father. So the voice said, I am the father. I can't tell you my thrill when I got that letter. She told it to me in person, and I asked her to write it. And that is the letter. So here, to have a great experience, there must be an experiencing nature. There must be. For only if I have an experiencing nature can the furnaces through which we must pass refine the essence of faith or faith, hope, and love, and when it happens, you can't restrain that outburst of tears. Jesus wept the outburst, and Peter wept bitterly when he saw the truth of all that he had heard, but he heard it intellectually. It had not yet moved him emotionally, and when the whole thing came to pass in him, well, then he wept bitterly, So everyone will one day have that experience. I know how true it is, for I am speaking from experience. You stand in the presence and answer in the words of Paul. Faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then you'll be embraced by man. It's man, it's infinite love. And that man is God. Today, we speak of of an oversoul, we speak of some impersonal force, and scientists get more and more abstract in their concepts of this creative power. And this creative power in man, excuse me, hasn't a thing to do with any oversoul or any intangible force. It is all man and speaks with the voice that I speak now, or I speak with now. You hear it in the tongue in which you were born. Were you German, you would have heard it in the tongue wherein you were born. Were you Swede, were you anything, whatever is the natural tongue, you would have heard it in that tongue. It is all, yet it is human and one being. You stand in the presence of an infinite God that is man. It's all love. So I tell you, I can't tell my thrill, my joy in hearing it from an audience of this size, how fast they're all awakening in this room. Now it may come to you in this manner. Now here's another. We're told in the book of Genesis, the doubling of a dream means that God has fixed it, and that it shall shortly come to pass, the doubling of a dream. Now, she said... Neville, while you were gone, I was gone for two months, and I closed the 16th of December and opened, as you know, last week, the 16th of February. In that interval, I had this experience. I'm in an enormous mountainous country, and here in a very deep valley runs a river. On the banks of the river, I notice three stone elephants. As I look at them, they become animated. The three elephants become alive. Then enter the river and swim down the river. While still in my dream, I say to myself, this is the second time I've had dreamed, or I have dreamed of stone elephants. Only a couple of weeks ago, I dreamt of stone elephants. But instead of being formed, when I saw them, I looked at the mountain and out of the mountain, that solid granite came three elephants. They came out of the mountain. But the mountain was just as solid and still as they were, the ones that were formed, and they came out. I remember this in my second dream of stone elephants. When I woke, I realized it was my third dream. And the first dream, I do have the letter at home, so that she was not exaggerating concerning these dreams. For I have the third letter at home. In this letter, there are two. The first letter she said, I saw elephants, many of them, at the mating season, and they were all in the creative act. I saw the little ones and these big ones at the mating season, all in the creative act. So here, three times I saw the picture of elephants. Now there is a language of symbolism that is universal. You will find this in the Lost Language of Symbolism by Bailey. The elephant, whether it be in Africa, in China, in Europe, or here. In the depths of the soul, the elephant is a symbol of the creative power and wisdom of God. While the creative power and wisdom of God is defined in the first chapter of Corinthians as Jesus Christ. You read it. And Jesus Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, First Corinthians. In this case, it's symbolized as an elephant. So what did she dream about? We're told that God speaks to man through the medium of a dream and reveals himself in a vision. Here is a dream so vivid it borders on vision. For in the dream she remembers that there was another dream that was similar. So this is more than a dream. It's bordering on a self-revelation, which is God revealing himself in her. What is the revelation? Revelation. That the creative power is now known to her and she will in the immediate present have tangible proof of the fact that her own wonderful human imagination is Christ Jesus. For all things are possible to God. And by the exercise of this power, she can prove this is the creative power of the universe. For here it came and shortly it will be proven. She must have some objective in this world either for herself or some member of her family, or for something in this world, and because all things are possible to God, and she's found God symbolized here in the creative act, for this is the creative act, then comes turning stone into something alive. So something seemingly is dead in our world, but it doesn't matter. The power is not there, not in space, Not in the stars, not in teacup leaves, not in anything outside of your own wonderful human imagination. There's nothing outside of your own wonderful imagination. All that you behold, though it appears without it, is within, in your imagination, of which this world of mortality is but a shadow. To prove it, they were all dead, they were made of stone. Is there anything more inanimate than stone, more dead? And so she looked at it and her beholding it and it became animated, became activated. Entered the stream of life and started now here in this wonderful mountainous area. All through scripture and he speaks from the mountain. When he reveals something fantastically marvelous, he takes him into the mountaintops. When he would transfigure himself into the mountain, he goes. Here in a mountainous area, it is all revealed to her the creative power of herself. For I repeat, God the creator and our wonderful human imagination are one and inseparable. Therefore, he can never be so far off as to even be near. For nearness implies separation. It can't be another. You can't turn to another. You can't lift your eyes and pray to any outside God. You can't cross yourself and hope that someone outside of you sees it. It's all within you. Now she knows, as my other friend knows, she incarnates God. And God radiates from her. In what manner? In her own wonderful human imagination. What are you imagining? If it is a painful thought and it hasn't yet caught fire within you, and you imagine something disastrous has come to pass, no matter what it is, it will come to pass. There is nothing in this world but what it was once first imagined. On the 19th day of December, I think it was the 19th or the 19th of January, I do not have the papers before me. It was in a magazine called the National Observer. But it was in December that they printed a picture of this demolished railroad trestle and here a train is suspended, that is one of the cars, or that is one of the cars is, and the engine on the ground, and the whole thing is broken, a huge section of it, and two sections separated by an enormous width, and these cars demolished and one pushed over the ledge. Someone in Virginia, now this happened in Idaho, in Rube and Idaho, here in Springfield, Virginia, a reader of the paper saw the picture and thought, That's strangely familiar, and remembered well I simply drew this picture. Nineteen years before he made a pen and ink sketch of that picture. He took a picture of it and sent it to the National Observer. When they saw it, it was a duplicate practically of what had actually happened this past year. It was nineteen years before that he had conceived it, and he said, All out of my imagination, I had no model that I used to draw it. There was no record, I had no picture, no memory image of such an accident, I simply conceived it. Out of his own imagination, he drew this thing in a pen, an ink sketch, had it framed at home, and he's kept it through the years, his own creation. He said to the editor, Isn't it strange that my picture out of my own imagination so closely resembles, resembles the actual? And he called the one that happened here the actual. What is the actual? His is the actual, this is the effect. This is the effect, or this is the world of shadow. He drew the actual and we saw what we call the actual. It's only the effect. It's only the shadow world. I have that picture at home. It appeared in December of last year's single picture of the fact. and reappeared with its duplicate preceding it by 19 years in the January issue of this last month. I didn't see it. A friend of mine buys it only for the crossword puzzle, and seeing it, knowing what I teach, that imagining creates reality, she cut it out and mailed it to me. That meant nothing to her as a picture, but she said, Neville teaches this, that imagining creates reality, and that everything in this world is only the effect of some imaginal cause. And no matter whether you know it or not, it had to be preceded by an imaginal act. And here, nineteen years before the so-called event, "'This man, out of his own imagination, draws a pen and ink sketch, and had it framed. "'He loved it. It's a marvelous picture. "'And here is this railroad trestle demolished with the hanging cars, those on the ground, everything, "'even to the trees surrounding it, all the pine trees. "'Nothing was left out from that original to the so-called fact, that we call a fact. "'So I say to this lady, you have touched in the depths of your soul.' And you say on three occasions, and I have your two letters, one you have given me the whole, the double vision, and in one you gave me the single. I say you've touched the creative power of God, and no one in this world can take it from you. It has grown within you to the point of revealing itself in vision. You are beyond, now turning back. You can't turn back. Those who have not had the vision can turn back. And they are likened to those on whom the seed fell. And then they quickly, eagerly took it. But then the cares of the day came, and they were just as though it fell upon thorns, and it was all snuffed out. Then there are those, it fell on the highway, and they find it, and it grew like this. Someone says, Oh, well, it would have happened anyway. And they concede it. Well, maybe it would have, strange coincidence. And that does or and that goes to seed, in your case, my dear, you can't turn back. There's no power on earth that can turn you back to any orthodox in the wor- or orthodoxy in the world now, for you have seen the symbol of the creative power of God, starting with the creative act, and then you turning stone into something alive and then into the stream of life. You now know you can take something that seemingly is dead. A condition of health, a condition of someone who is unemployed, a condition of something that is barren, it's stone, and in your mind's eye you represent it as something alive and real and wonderful. What you want in place of what you see, and turn what you want into something alive to supplant the thing that you saw, you have that power now. The other, he's not here and his is on another level. Here he sees a home, the window display, the door display, and something strange about both window and door. There's a radiance that comes from it, a glow, and it radiates a certain distance. Then someone from a group, he doesn't recognize anyone from the group, but someone said to him, When you enter the house, how can we know that it is you who actually is doing the bidding? And he replied, I will do what is necessary. But no matter what I do, you will still say, this is a trick. And then a voice spoke from within him, and the voice said, I have powers I know not of. The voice doesn't address him as another by saying, I have powers ye know not of. No, I have powers I know not of. Now, he said, as I began to awake from it all, there was the house, the windows and the doors. I saw it differently. But, you see, he had not yet entered it. He has powers he knows not of, but he has not entered the state of consciousness to exercise it. He still knows when he enters it and things happen, it is he who will say, Well, it would have happened anyway. These are not others. There is nothing but self in this world. So those who questioned him and said that when it happens, how will we know? Well, he answered in the affirmative, but there was a doubt. When he enters that new state of consciousness, he will still not be quite sure that his imaginal act was the cause of the phenomena that will confront him. So here there are different levels of the revealing of God in man. The first part was this fantastic, I am the father. In the not distant future, she will know it in the most intimate manner not a voice that is a masculine voice when her voice is so feminine, not a voice speaking from the depth of her soul, I am the Father. But she will know she is the Father when the only begotten Son stands before her and calls her Father. In the meanwhile, she knows she incarnates God the Father, for she heard the voice within herself, and he now radiates from her own wonderful human imagination. She knows that I am faith, I am hope, I am love. She's read it in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. She's heard it from platforms. But she knows it now, where it really is. It's not in the Bible, 13 Corinthians. It's within her. That's where. The wonderful revelation it is. I am faith, I am hope, I am love. Now she's heard it said, I am the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. You ask me to show you the Father? Have I been so long with you and you have not seen the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Had you known me, you would have known the Father, for we are one. John 10.30, 14.8 And they thought him another. She knows now who the Father is. Now she knows these are the words of Jesus Christ. Therefore she knows who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus Christ is not a character 2,000 years ago. A Jesus Christ is her own wonderful human imagination, declaring itself to be the Father. She heard it coming from within herself, a glorious masculine voice. Now she's going to see the one who called him Lord. Call her Lord and she's going to stand and see David appear before her, and David will call her father. So David in the spirit called me Lord. If he called me Father, how then can I be David's son when he calls me Father? Matthew 22:42. She's going to have that experience, and she's going to know all that I have said from this platform is true. So I repeat, we will not know the truth, not in eternity, until we experience it after we have experienced the truth we cannot deny it any more than we can then we can the humblest evidence of our senses so she will know the ultimate and the ultimate is when she herself is revealed as god the father and that there is no no other god the father there's no other god but he is father and that's his final revelation to man that he is power yes that's his first revelation Almighty God, El Shade, his second revelation. I am, that's my name forever. So we are told, my name is in you. Listen, take heed and hearken to his voice, for my name is in you. She knows now the name is in her, for it came from within her when she heard, I am the father. She knows now that the ear was open as you're told in the 40th Psalm. Thou hast given me an ear or an open ear. And may I tell you, when this passage is quoted in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, they do not quote it in this manner, but now he quotes it. Sacrifices and offerings thou didst not require, but a body thou hast prepared for me. She felt the body prepared with this open ear. That's, that phrase, thou hast given me an open ear, is not quoted in the tenth of Hebrews as a body thou hast prepared for me. So now she has felt that a mortal body that cannot die, and she heard with its ear. For first the ear was opened, something turned and opened in her, and then she heard. So he said, From of old you have not heard, and man thinks he and man thinks he's heard. These wonderful ears within the within that let's see these wonderful ears within that hear such tones that have been played like the deaf beethoven but he heard tones of his age or of this age he was deaf and still he could hear within himself these tones this is not the ear of which i speak this is not the body of which i speak i speak of an entirely different body the body that has been prepared and she has been put through the furnaces. So, judge judge not from appearances. You will see the lady, her husband is known, very well known in his profession, and she goes as his wife. You would say unknown only by the reason of the fact he is known, and yet, in the eyes of God, here the body has been prepared for her to the point of the ear being open. And all of those who are now being, be meddled and building monuments to them and giving all kinds of honors. They'll make their exit to continue in the world of the deaf, to continue in the world of the dead. Nothing really dies, but this world is a state and the state is as dead as this world. But she will enter the world of life for the body has been prepared and the ear is open. So I say to everyone, take me literally and test it especially the lady who told me her story concerning the elephant. Being a mother of many, she has her problems because all mothers have problems. If you are a mother, you say you never sleep. You hear it all through the infancy stage, and then there's always that desire that they have and they can't realize, and they turn to mother. And so she had the opportunity now of granting their wishes by the exercise of the only creative power in the world, her own wonderful human imagination. So let them turn, doesn't really matter, let them all turn, for the simple reason they're all yourself pushed out anyway. There's nothing but you made visible. And so in her case, let them all come, do it effortlessly. You don't burst a blood vessel to do it. You do it in faith. While you're patient, you can wait. If they're anxious, you won't be anxious with them. You're patient, you heard it. You've seen it clearly, and now you go in confidence that it's done. So you rest in confidence that it's done. So here, your faith, if you believe it, is justified not by any argument in the world, but by an experience. Let them come and argue. As someone said, you ministers are making a frightful mistake. In your pulpits, you're arguing for Christianity, and no one wants to hear your arguments. Does this thing work? Well, then share it with the rest of us. You can get in that pulpit and argue forever. So you're telling me what you believe, and you make a confession of faith, and you confess to me what you believe. I'm not interested. Tell me why you believe it. Now these two ladies can tell why they believe in Christ. One knows from within herself. I heard his voice, and the voice said to me exactly what is written in Scripture, that he said, and now recorded as the written word, here I'm a witness to the invisible world, the spirit of what we see there in the written word. I am the father. For you read these words in the 14th of John. I am the father. He who has seen me has seen the father for I am the father. You read it in the 10th of John. I and the father are one. So you read them in John while well, she's heard them in herself. Now she knows where the true spirit is, what the scripture really is. So there are the two witnesses, the external witness of scripture and the internal witness of her spirit. Tell my other friend she has touched and seen the power within herself. She has animated the seeming dead. What you saw is a symbol of the creative power and wisdom of God. And the wisdom and the power of God is Jesus Christ. And Christ is your own wonderful human imagination. So take it and go out and try it with everything in this world. Try it using these virtues, for a whole vast world rests upon these virtues. Out of the three virtues comes our civilized world, faith, hope, and love. So someone wants something, imagine that they have it, and have confidence that in its own good time it comes to pass in a way that you need not devise. And you need not in any way tell anyone that you've done, or what you've done, you simply know that you want and feel it and have faith. That's how the world was raised by the word of God. Through faith, we understand the world was created by the word of God. Hebrews eleven three. And to all I say, set your hope fully upon this grace. For the extravagant grace of God is the sole hope of man. What is that grace? That he gives himself to us individually. He gives himself to me as though there were no other in the world just the two of us, and finally, not two, just one, and I am he. When that comes, his son stands before me, and he calls me Father, and then I know I am he. Then I know who I am. That is his ultimate extravagant grace to man, to give himself to man. Now, let us go into the silence. All right, so there we have Neville Goddard's lecture from 1967. Childhood Imagining Creates Reality. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode, and I will see you all next time. Bye now.